Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, a historic vote from the New York City Council in favor of allowing 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in school board elections. It's the subject of our Inside Newark feature with Council President LaMonica McIver. This, being in democracy here in the city of Newark, allowing 16 and 17-year-olds to have the opportunity uh, to be able to choose those that represent their best interests and something that I could not be more proud of. I'll chat with award-winning filmmaker Sam Pollard and acclaimed drummer Nasheed Waits about two special Max Roach centennial events coming up in Newark. Me and Max Roach is one of the greatest musicians in the 20th century. And WBGO's John Kalish has the story of a Jersey City jazz guitarist who grew up in Japan. Jazz in general has been always very popular in Japan, but I didn't have lots of friends who play jazz. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Newark is taking a big step toward getting its young people involved in government. The city council voted this week to allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in school board elections. Jonathan Alston, a teacher at Science Park High School, was one of many who spoke before the vote was taken. He reminded everyone of the critical role young people played a few years ago in returning Newark schools to local control. Those were high school students who organized demonstrations that were so big, they shut down the highway to the airport. They helped us get local control back. If students can help get local control back, you have to help them have the vote right now. The city council vote was nine to nothing to let 16 and 17 year olds vote in school board elections, which will be held in April. Before the vote, Rashawn Davis, head of the Andrew Goodman Foundation, which battles voter suppression, spoke of the importance of getting young people involved. We're talking about enfranchising thousands of new voters with a pen stroke. It's a powerful step that this body should be proud of. It fundamentally changes the nature and scope of these elections, which have no doubt suffered from abysmal participation in the past. Councilman Patrick Council said young people in the city are already politically active. It's young people that walk with many of us that canvass neighborhoods, that knock on doors, uh, that participated uh, in all kinds of things. Newark is now the largest municipality in the U.S. to expand voting rights to younger people since 1971, when the voting age was lowered to 18 nationwide. Last year, only about 3% of Newark's registered voters voted in the school board elections. It is time for another edition of Inside Newark with Council President LaMonica McIver. Great to see you as always, Council President. Hey, Doug, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed, and historic things are happening in the city of Newark. More teenagers in the city are now getting a voice in government. The city council voted to allow 16- and 17-year-olds to vote in school board elections. Oh, yes. I mean, definitely we made history um, this week here in the city of Newark. I'm super um, proud and just happy to be a champion of this piece of legislation. Um, Definitely we became... Uh, one of the largest cities to expand voting rights in the United States of America since 1971, since the 24th Amendment was passed uh, to allow 18-year-olds to vote, if you know, folks remember back then. Um, so I'm super excited to be expanding voting rights here in the city of Newark. Um, one of the things, you know, there's been a lot of conversation. I've had tons of conversation. I was on CBS News earlier this week and I'm um, talking to some folks at MSNBC 
And many people have different opinions about this. But the one thing I'll say that was the main intention and driver of it was that people closest to the policy making and the decision making should have a seat and a take in the decision. And when we talk about school board elections and all of the things that are happening around the nation, around school and decisions like banning books, um, we have school shootings, people are talking about how, how we secure schools, all of these things, different. what kind of history, what kind of curriculum can be taught? Everyone's talking about it. Adults are talking about it left to right. But young people, they are like just left out of the conversation. No one is communicating with them. No one is asking them, what is your um, belief? Like, what do you want? No one's doing that. And this um, expanding democracy here in the city of Newark, allowing 16 and 17 year olds to have the opportunity uh, to be able to choose those that represent their best interests and represent what they want is something that I could not be more proud of. Doug, I've talked about it multiple times, even here on Inside North, about why I got into politics, how I started in politics as a young uh, student, even before 16 years old. And at the end of the day, I couldn't be more proud to be able to say, for the reasons, the reasons I got into politics is something that I'm actually, you know, contributing to for this particular piece of legislation, supporting young people, advocating for young people, and more importantly, empowering them, because that's what it's about. Yeah, and you talked about in the opening segment of Inside Newark how Mayor Rasbarak, who was your teacher at the time, you know, inspired you to get involved in civic engagement. And and now you're returning the favor to all these uh, young people. So one of the questions is, do you see a dramatic increase in school board election voters now that 16 and 17-year-olds are permitted to vote? Well, I think it definitely adds to the numbers, right? We, we know that school board is a very low turnout. But we I, I would say that my intentions of doing this was not because I wanted to, like, you know, try to get our numbers up. Because parents should still be coming out to vote for their kids' education no matter what, if we would have passed this or not. This isn't, we're not using kids to make up for the loss. Like, you know, I know I heard some people saying that. That's not the case. Like, we're literally giving them a, a you know, position to be able to select people that are best supporting their best interests and in, in what they see and want in their schools. These folks are shaping their futures. So, if, if you, I mean, this is a serious job. Like, being a school board member, just like being a teacher, is a serious job. Like, these individuals shape these young people's future, which sets them up for life. And if you don't have the right setup, you know that it can be some determinant in your adult life to be able to get back on track. So, this is really important, but I definitely see an increase with passing this. We're basically allowing almost 7,000 students that would be eligible to participate in the election. So it, it definitely should be some type of increase. Is there an age limit to be a school board member? Yes, um, we, we change no rules about who can run for school board. Um, the Board of Elections, when you go out and take out petitions to run for school board, you have to be 18 years old. Um, so um, whatever the regulations are still for that, that's still the same. That stands that still. We didn't do any um, amendments or changes to that. What do you feel was the most valid opposition statement to this? Because it, it passed unanimously when it came to the council, right? Yes, it passed. Uh, all council members voted for it. And so I'm thankful for that, for their support. Definitely shout out to the co-sponsor of Councilman of the South Ward, um, Councilman Patrick Council. 
Um, but I, I think like some of the most uh, valid opposition I think to it, um, which is sensible, is the idea of educating students, right? Um, folks were saying, oh, students are not educated. They don't know what's going on. They don't even know who their representatives are and all of this type of talk. They don't know the, the democratic part of it or whatever. And I understand those things. Like I understand, I agree with those. And I don't, the buck didn't stop here just because we passed it. This was just the beginning. Um, now it's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of workshops. There's a lot of learning period for kids. First of all, New Jersey needs to implement back civics into the classroom. I know some districts, they still do teach um, civics here and there and there's different portions of it, um, different, you know, spectrums of who's teaching it, but it needs to be a mandate to put civics back into the classroom, back into curriculum, and the New Jersey uh, State Board of Education needs to do that. Um, our young people should be learning how to be civically involved and how to be democratically involved in, their, in, in the world. Like, you, you shouldn't have to be 18 to wait to hear about it. Like, you know, 18, you can register to vote, but you don't even know what they're talking about. Like, what? Like, what is voting? Um, what are we even talking about? We should be doing that ahead of time. We, once again, we're teaching young people to be productive citizens. And what is being a productive citizen? It is participating democratically, being civically involved in the world. If you don't teach them that, how do they know um, to do that or be that? You know, they're just figuring it out on their own at 18. So at the end of the day, that's the next, you know, that's the next step that needs to happen. Yeah, congratulations on that too. Plus, I know that you said it's it's a valid argument, but you could say that about any potential voter. They're not always informed, you know? And so maybe if we have more civic engagement programs, and like you said, maybe the Newark School Board could lead the way in that and, and getting that into, into the schools, then there's more of a chance because then people, you know, uh, it's almost like a... I, I just did an interview recently about uh, some schoolhouse rock legends. I mean, how did we learn, you know, when, when I was growing up, I learned about the Constitution and the preamble and everything from schoolhouse rock, you know, and it stayed in my mind forever. The whole legislative process, I'm just a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. I mean, we learned all about that from a cartoon. So if we actually had classes in school to help us uh, learn about what you need to do to be able to vote, to know about the issues that impact you. Because so many students, and you hear it, will say, it doesn't impact me. What do you mean yeah. it doesn't impact you? You know, there every every decision that's made in Congress impacts you in some way. So uh, congratulations again on this momentous vote uh, that you helped spearhead. And uh, we look forward to Another segment of Inside Newark with Council President LaMonica McIver next month. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Doug. And I just want to take a moment to shout out um, New Jersey Social Ju New Jersey Institute of Social Justice um, for all of their work that they did um, on this. And I, I do want to leave on one tip, Doug. You, you hit the uh, nail on the head. Everyone is always saying, I don't do politics. You know, politics isn't my thing. You know, I, I'm not interested. And I tell people each and every day, you're not doing politics, but politics is doing you. Each and every day, down to a newborn baby. Matter of fact, down to a baby that's just a fetus in its mom's womb. The politics is doing you each and every day. So get engaged, get informed, get involved. And you got to be more than just woke. 
you have to be engaged and involved and knowledgeable about what's going on. Thanks, Doug. You know, I always love WBGO and inside work. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. Happy 2024. We'll see you next month. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. As we celebrate the Max Roach Centennial, there are two wonderful events coming up in Newark in recognition of the legendary drummer and composer. I spoke with award-winning filmmaker Sam Pollard and drummer Nasheed Waits about the events. First, a documentary film screening and panel discussion of Pollard's Max Roach, The Drum Also Waltzes. Pollard will be on hand for that discussion on January 18th at the Newark Museum of Art. For me, Max Roach is one of the greatest musicians in the 20th century. I mean, you know, phenomenal, you know, on the, on the percussion instrument, you know, phenomenal composer, phenomenal band leader, you know. So when I first, the first time I listened to Max was probably in the 70s on that album. Nasheed knows this album, Members Don't Get Weary. Yes. You know, and I love that record. I mean, Stanley Kyle, Tolliver, Jimmy Merritt, and Max. I was like, wow, man, yes. Gary Bartz. I thought it was fantastic. And and then it just forced me to go back and listen to all of Max's stuff when from playing with Charlie Parker, from playing with Clifford Brown and Booker Little and George Coleman and then with the bands with M Boom with Warren and Fred King and Omar Clay. I mean, to me, Max was a consummate, consummate musician, all around musician. And then his activism, his, his sense of, you know, the importance of not just being an entertainer. But using his music to carry messages, it's just phenomenal. That's why when you listen to the Freedom Now Suite, you know, it's still so emotional and relevant today. Then on January 26th, the Max Roach Centennial Freedom Now Suite concert at NJ Pack with musical director Nasheed Waits. As a musician, he was always at the cusp of innovation. He's, he's really one of the most replicated drummers and, and 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 revered drummers of all time in modern history the advances that he made uh, and it was and it was in, in 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 the professional sense it also links itself to the activism because um he was always interested in giving the voice to those people the voice of the unheard and a lot of times within the uh construct of a band the drummer is the person who gets treated with the least respect so one of his goals was to dispel that myth of, of the drummer being the ignorant person in the band. So he was always about composition. He was always about, even the way he soloed was, was uh, commonly re referred to as melodic. You know, and he, was, he would call it shapes and, and different things of his nature, but it, it, it gave credence to the, to, the, to the knowledge and the musicianship of the drummer. So his activism wasn't only seen and, and felt in the, in the realm of civil rights, it was also felt on the bandstand. Yeah, and that's the thing when you think about legends is that their music lives on, right? Well past uh, their days and how many decades now have we enjoyed the music of Max Roach. Now coming up at the Newark Museum of Art on January 18th at 7 p.m., part of the Max Roach Centennial, The Drum Also Waltzes, a documentary film screening and panel discussion led by Sam Pollard, and you'll be joined by Max's son. It should be a special night, Sam. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm very excited that people have really gravitated and got engaged by the film about Max, you know. And it was, you know, and it took a long time to get it done, but 
you know, just having the opportunity to sit with all those different musicians from Randy Weston to Jimmy Heath to Dee Dee Bridgewater. You know, listen, Max, Max was, I mean, what can you say about Max Roach? I mean, the last time I actually was in, was in Verona, you were there in the sheet. Yeah. It was in, it was in 94 or something, 95. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was yeah. like 95 because it was right before Tony passed. Like a, That's so, right. That's Tony right. And, yeah. and it was, it was in Boom. You know, she was in the boom at the time. And then it was Max with Ginger Baker and Tony Williams. And that was like, whoa, man. That's, that shows you how far reaching and far thinking Max was, you know, to be able to have a, a, be in a trio with those two master drummers and then to have his in boom group, you know, all percussion. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. What kind of questions would you like to get during the panel discussion? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know. People are going to ask, uh, you know, how long, how long, it, how, why, how, why did it take so long to get the film done? You know, what was Max like? I mean, I spent a lot of time with Max from probably 87 to 95, you know, so it was just like watching this guy in different situations. You know, I used to see him at the Vanguard when it was with Cecil and Odin Pope. You know, I even saw the early band with Cecil and um, Billy Harper was in the mm. band, you know? So, you know, it was just, you know, I don't know. I mean, anybody can ask me questions about Max, you know? The thing that to me was was, was really interesting about Max was that, and I think Nishida said it, I mean, he, he was completely innovative. He never rested on his laurels, you know? He was always up for different challenges in terms of musical, you know, groups. And you, you can see it, the double quartet, you know, then boom, playing with, you know, Cecil Taylor or Archie Shep or Abdullah Ibrahim. I mean, the guy, he he just never rested, man. He didn't say, I'm just going to be a drummer who played that music from the 40s. He was always moving forward. So that documentary and film screening, once again, will take place at the Newark Museum of Art on January 18th at 7 p.m. Then coming up, the Freedom Now Suite concert, January 26th, and that will be at 8 p.m., and that will take place at NJ Pack, and that will feature some incredible artists, including Sheet Waits on drums, Cassandra Wilson on vocals, Sonia Sanchez will be a poet, and we have many others like Robbie Coltrane on saxophone, Eric Rivas on bass, and others. This event has to be so special to you, Nasheed. Not only are you the music director, but because of the the music and the impact of you know, the revolutionary 1960 album, We Insist, Max Roach's Freedom Now Suite. Tell us what this event will mean to you inside once it begins. Well, like Sam, I have a very close personal relationship with Max that um, preceded me even playing the drums because he was such a close friend with my father, uh, Freddie Waits, who was uh, a founding member of, of Um Boom along with Max and Joe Chambers and Warren Smith and Roy Brooks. Uh, Fred King, Dr. Uh, Ray Mantia, and Omar Clay. This this particular piece resonates because he was um, him and Oscar Brown Jr. conceived it together. So that's one of the um, that's that's something we also want to highlight was Oscar Brown Jr.'s contribution because he he made a uh, a serious contribution. Max saw it to fruition, but they worked on it together for for some time with the lyrics and the and the concept, and it's still important today because th there's kind of an overarching question in the in the um in the piece 
uh, the Freedom Now Suite, and it's expressed in Freedom Day, and they're, and they're talking about whisper, whisper, listen, whisper, listen. They say we're free, and that and that sentiment is still something that is that we can ask today in, in, the, in the same in the same breath. Are we free? And it's not only re relating to the a Black American play in that particular work. He's also talking about the South African uh, Black South Africans that were under the apartheid system at that point. But this, but but we see now in the world that these types of circumstances apply to, to a, to a lot of groups. So we need to give voice to those groups. And this piece is about giving voice to those groups, about recognizing about recognizing the plight of these groups, and also recognizing that we still have a lot of work to do as a society. We certainly do. And I'll talk to you about a little bit about the drummer lineage and the drummer uh, fraternity. You, know, you talked about your dad being a drummer. You, you studied under Michael Carvin, and and how drummers seem to support each other in jazz, and and have helped each other out through the years. It's a little bit different than other genres of music, don't you think? Uh, I I think well, in in terms of instruments, I definitely think that there's a certain type of uh, we have a, we have a strong love amongst the percussionists, and I think. And and I remember Michael Carvin, who you said I studied with. He he said that Kenny Clark said that, and Kenny Clark is is kind of a contemporary of Max's, but just a little bit older. Um, he said that the drummer is the mother of the band. <laughs> and and then when you think of your mother, you think of her. You know, she disciplines the person, but she also shows the love and the care, the nurturing. That's the nature of of most drummers. So there is of course competitiveness, but there's also a spirit of of support because that's what we're always doing <laughs> in the function of the band we're supporting the band uh, and that's the common function the, the foundation uh one of the foundational elements of of the function of the percussionist so when we saw you when you see us interact there's always love there's always big hugs there's always, and then we're also you know farming gigs out to each other oh, i can't make this gig can you make it yeah i can make it can you do this one no i can't do this. can you do this tour i doubt i got a recording coming out oh, my man really likes you can you do it you know we're always it's a constant uh circulation amongst us so in that there comes a certain type of uh, uh brotherhood that that is expressed and it's and it comes from the nature of of the instrument too it's of the earth you know is there's a certain foundation and then there's a certain type of uh um, a quality that 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 uh, engenders engenders that type of that type of kinship. You can see my entire interview with drummer Nasheed Waits and filmmaker Sam Pollard on the WBGO Facebook page. Once again, it will be January 18th at the Newark Museum of Art that there will be a screening and panel discussion with Sam Pollard and others about his documentary, Max Roach, The Drum Also Waltzes. And then on January 26th at NJ Pack, there will be a special tribute concert, Max Roach Centennial, The Freedom Now Suite. Time now for a story about a jazz guitarist who lives in Jersey City. Nobuki Takaman grew up in Japan and came to the U.S. as a young man to study jazz. He's cobbled together a career playing gigs everywhere from major international jazz festivals to small local venues and teaching guitar. WBGO's John Kalish has this profile that is part of our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series. 46-year-old Nobuki Takaman grew up in Hiroshima, where he was a champion gymnast in junior high school. He started playing guitar at the age of 14, but jazz wasn't the first thing he played. Jazz in general has been always very popular in Japan, but I didn't have lots of friends who play jazz. 
He says he became obsessed with the folk duo Simon and Garfunkel, and then he heard Eric Clapton playing acoustic blues on the MTV show Unplugged. That got me into blues. And then, you know, blues and improvisation eventually got me into playing jazz. When he was 18, Takaman came to the U.S. and traveled by train around the country, making pilgrimages to New Orleans and Seattle, where he visited the grave of Jimi Hendrix. A few years later, Takaman came back to America to study jazz, performance, composition, and arranging at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, which is said to have the largest guitar department in the world. He chose Berklee after reading a book about the great jazz guitarist Tal Farlow by a Berkeley professor named Steve Roshinsky. After teaching at Berkeley for 40 years, Roshinsky said that Takaman was his favorite student. He was constantly coming to me during office hours or passing moments in hallways to just stop and talk for a moment about pretty much anything that was on his mind musically. The work ethic that this gentleman came with and continued to develop. You know, Nobuki never, ever took anything for granted. He's a classic example of a musician, entrepreneur, who will do anything he can to be true to himself. Nabuki Takaman's career has been on a steady upswing since his time at Berkeley. He played at the Montreal International Jazz Festival in 2009, and over the last 19 years, he's done 17 tours in Japan, where initially only friends and family members came to the shows, but lately the shows are mostly sold out, he says. His touring band in Japan is made up of Japanese musicians who studied at Berkeley and then returned home. Takaman started teaching at Metropolis Music, a store in Jersey City that not only sells and repairs instruments, but also offers lessons for guitar and other instruments. Today, he has 80 guitar students who take lessons online. Most of them are in Japan, but there are also students in other Asian countries, Europe, and the U.S. Mostly, you know, they're really into improvisation, I would say. Not necessarily playing jazz, but Many of them are really interested in playing over the changes. So I tend to focus on improvising over blues with them. There are 22,000 subscribers to Takaman's YouTube channel, where viewers can watch him doing jazz improvisation on one side of the screen and a chart of the notes he's playing on the other. Early on a recent weekday evening, Takaman taught a lesson to a student in Garwood named Gus. Just after you play four notes. Bom, 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 bom. The fifth one should be the same. 
Okay. Da, 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 da. And then pandemic got me into thinking about, oh, this is one thing that I really want to do because back then, when the pandemic and in a lockdown, I felt like I'm useless because I cannot play music. But when I share what I learned from my tours and playing with great musicians, a lot of students appreciate that. You know, like I feel like, oh, I'm doing something good for my students. You know, when I teach, I'm actually sharing my love to play jazz and、uh, I hope they get it. Takaman is still touring and recording. His professor from Berkeley, Steve Rushinsky, recalled some advice his mentor, Howard Roberts, gave him. Roberts was a jazz guitarist who played with Chico Hamilton, backed the Monkees, and did the lead guitar riff in the theme from The Twilight Zone. He told Rushinsky every professional musician has three responsibilities you play your instrument, you write your music, and then you teach someone what you know. Because it's only going to benefit you, first of all. And it's also the only way we're going to hand this down to the next generation. And Rashinsky says that Nobuki Takaman has all three covered. For the WBGO Journal, I'm John Kalish. WBGO's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion feature series is made possible in part by a grant from the Fund for New Jersey. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5 30 for another edition of the award winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.